Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. All right, and if you need a Bible this morning, if you would simply raise your hand, our ushers would be happy to pass one to you. If um, maybe you've forgotten yours at home or in the car, and uh, we put it on the screen, but I encourage you to have a copy of God's Word. Um, I, I like to say a real Bible, but that's not true. They're, they're, Bibles come in all forms these days, but I still like just I like binding and paper and all of that stuff. I'm a kind of old school that way. Um, also, while they're doing that, thank you guys for doing that. Uh, if you happen to meet some guests we have today, Michael and Debbie, where are you guys at? Where you sit? They're right over here. Uh, Michael and Debbie are folks we went to church with 20 plus years ago. And, um, and they are in Orlando uh, for the last week and this week. They're in training at Wycliffe Bible Translators and getting ready for this whole new adventure and, and, and journey in this stage of their life. And uh, so if you see them and greet them, and uh, just if the Lord prompts you to be able to pray for them and, and they're trusting the Lord and looking for his provision as they get ready to do this. So if you, if you see them around, say hello. Um, maybe find out more about what they're doing, but just be praying for them. And, you know, sometimes we get scared off because we think we, there are so many good things that are going on out there and most all of it requires finances to be able to do it. And so we get scared away thinking, I don't have money for all this. I believe this with all of my heart, that the greatest thing that we will ever do for the kingdom of God, the greatest thing we do in the kingdom of God, and the greatest thing that God does in you and me is when we pray. All right. It all begins there. The finance, money's not a, it has been my experience through the years that money's not a big deal for God. It really isn't. It is for you and me, but it's not for him. But prayer, prayer is a big deal that somehow we tend to minimize. And I don't know exactly why that is, but we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. All right, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. After several weeks of other things, uh, including a hurricane, we are going back to, to the Sermon on the Mount. We are in Matthew chapter 6. If you recall, the last time that we were here in Matthew 6, we were at the very first part of it, the first four verses. And I, t- I shared with you that Jesus comes out of the end of chapter 5. And in chapter 5, he was telling them that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, unless your life is different than theirs, the kingdom is not yours. All right, And he begins to give some practical examples. He did in the end of chapter 5. He does here in chapter 6. And there are three things that Jesus talks about here in chapter 6 that he expected would be a part of a believer's life, a follower of Jesus. That he, there was an expectation. You can tell just as you read this. There was an expectation that these things would be part of our lives. The first we talked about the last time we were in Matthew 6, which is giving. Giving should be a part of the believer's life. Uh, and we talked about that at length. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. You can go listen to it. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. As a matter of fact, probably for a couple of weeks because we're not going to get too far in it today and we will kind of break this apart as we go along. And then toward the middle of chapter 6, he talks about the third thing. that He said, this will be part of a believer, a follower, someone whose righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Now again, please hear me when I say this. We are not doing this to prove somehow that we are worthy. We are not earning brownie points by doing it. We are not more spiritual because we do it. There is a work of God in you and me, and part of what it produces are these three things. 
It produces a heart that wants to give. It produces a heart that wants to pray. And it produces also a desire to fast, a desire to see God and to seek him and to press in to him. And we'll talk about fasting a little later. And I'm not going to tell you what week because most of you will skip that week. And I'm not, I don't want, so I'm not going to tell you what day. Uh, we're going to talk about fasting. All right. By the way, when it comes to fasting, there are tremendous, tremendous promises in God's word that are associated with fasting. So it's something you really don't want to miss. All right. Um, today, Matthew chapter 6, look with me, beginning in verse 5. Jesus said to them, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now he's talking about the Pharisees. Don't be like them. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. What does he mean at the street corners? He says, not only do they like to stand up in public places when everybody's gathered together and pray in a loud, boisterous way and be seen to have a prominent place. He said, these guys will actually, they'll stop along their way to the tabernacle, to the temple, to the place of gathering. They'll stop along the way and pray on the street corner, kind of gather a crowd there as, I'm so spiritual, I don't only pray when I get with God's people, I pray all along the way too, I stop. And, and again, Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to pray. He's not even saying it's wrong to pray in public. But he's continuing the same theme where he says their heart is to be seen. They want to be seen. They're thinking not about God, as they pray, they're thinking about man. What will man think? How do I do something in such a way to elicit the praise of men and women? How do I cause them to think well of me? And Jesus is going after the heart attitude in this. He's not against prayer. We're going to see that. There are, well, let's keep going. He says they, they love to pray at the street corners. And, and he says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. The praise they get from man, that's what they're going to get. That's it. But when you pray, go into your room. How many of you have a translation that says, go into your closet? Anybody have a translation that says, yeah, go into your closet? Um, closet has a different meaning for us today than it did there, so I'm not sure that translation holds up as well today because we think of a closet, a place we put our clothes and shoes and things and all. But the idea is a place where we can be, we can minimize distraction. This word was used, it's also a place that's not necessarily so visible. Um, there was, th this word is used in different places in scripture to be an inner room or a place. Remember in the Old Testament, it's used to, this, this Greek word, when used in the Old Testament as a Hebrew word, um, it was used of Joseph. Remember when his brothers came and he's having this conversation and all of a sudden he wells up and he knows he's about to cry and he doesn't want to cry in front of them. And so it says he runs from them and he goes into his inner room or into his chamber. This is the same word, okay? So it's a place that's more private. He says, when you pray, he says, I want you to go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, can, before we leave this, can I cast down, can I, I want to come against a misunderstanding of this verse, and I've seen it taught even in preparing this week. I saw it again in different places. This whole idea that Jesus is saying here that all prayer should be private prayer. That way we guard against man's flesh getting involved and being seen and all of that. And so prayer should be private prayer. The, the scripture does not bear that out, okay? It just does not. 
especially the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we have the early church. We have the first 30 years of the church in the book of Acts. And so from chapter 1 to the end of, of Acts, chapter 28, it's about 30 years, 30 to 40 years that take place there. In 28 chapters in the book of Acts, 16 chapters, there's prayer, someone praying, either individually in a small group or in a corporate setting, all right? And most of it is in the corporate setting. The early church, our church, the church, Jesus' church, was born out of a prayer meeting, a corporate prayer meeting, okay? This idea, and it is still propagated today, that Jesus' teaching was that you shouldn't pray in public, that all prayer should be private. It's a personal, private matter. That is not biblically accurate, okay? There is a place. What Jesus is saying is not that we shouldn't pray together. As a matter of fact, many places in the New Testament, it talks about praying together. What he's saying is, is when you pray together, be careful, because the tendency for it to become about you or about somebody else is very, very easy to fall into that trap. And be aware of it. Be on guard. Be alert. The goal here is to actually talk to God. I was asked an interesting question last night by one of Katie's friends. She was at the house, and I, I poked my head in to see what they were doing and disrupt them in some way. And, um, and so as I poked my head in, she looked at me. She goes, you're a pastor. I go, yes. And she goes, so tell me, do you plan out what you're going to pray? And I thought, well, that's a good question. And I said, well, typically, no, I don't. I said, sometimes I have an idea, a general thought or theme where I feel like God's stirring. But no, I don't plan out what I'm going to pray. And she goes, well, why not? You know, some people write prayers and things. I said, there's nothing wrong uh, with written. I'm not, I'm not on a campaign against written prayers or anything like that. But for me, and I believe what Jesus wanted us to be alert to is that we don't get into some type of religious ritual where we're trying to do everything just the right way, where we want to say the right words, where we want to make sure it sounds correct and it sounds good. Have you ever heard anyone use the phrase, that's a beautiful prayer? Have you ever heard someone say that, it's a beautiful prayer? What do we mean by that, it's a beautiful prayer? Is there supposed to be a beautiful? I think all prayer to the Lord is beautiful except the one that's not coming from the heart. And so, is there such a thing? I mean, we humans try to qualify and say, this is a beautiful prayer. But Jesus said, what I want you to do is to come open with your heart, open before the Lord, and just talk. Talk to your Father. Just talk to Him. Share. Don't have to use a lot of... As a matter of fact, let's look what He says next, because He's going to elaborate more on this. Look with me. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Have you ever felt that way when you're praying? I, I'll be honest, I have. It's like, I haven't prayed long enough. I need to think of something else to say, or maybe I need a few verses I can throw in there or something. I haven't prayed, I haven't met the criteria here for God to hear or really be moved by this. So I need some more. Do you know what I have discovered in my journey with the Lord over the last decade or so? That probably the prayer that I believe is most beautiful to the Lord's ear is the simplest one that I pray. And I pray it often these days, and it's one word, help. Help. Jesus, help me. Well, that's three words, but help me. You don't have to have a lot of words. As a matter of fact, fewer is better sometimes. Just talk to him. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to sound like anybody else. There's a dear older man in my church. 
And every time he prayed, I can still remember, I still hear his voice. Lord, oh, our Heavenly Father, please forgive us for all of our sins of omission and commission. I was about 15 before I realized what sins of omission and commission were. But he prayed that every time. I'm not being critical. Please don't misunderstand. And I'm not, I certainly don't want to be judgmental. But I think if we're not careful, and Jesus is trying to warn us here, that prayer can become a ritual just like anything else. He says it's not supposed to be. It's so much more than that. He says they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Sometimes we think that. If I say the right words, if I get the right phrasing, if I get it just so, well, then I can move God to whatever place I want to move him. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. How many have experienced that with your kids? I do that with my kids all the time. They come, and a lot of times I know what they're going to ask before they even ask. I know where they're going. I know what they need. I know based on the time of year or the season or what's going on or what's transpired, I know what they're going to ask. You know what I do? I sit and wait for them to ask anyway. And then we talk about it. The Lord knows what you need. You don't, you're not coming and informing him. Do you realize that? When you and I pray, we are not informing him. He already knows. He needs no information from you and me. And we'll say, then why bother? Because he wants relationship with you and me. He wants us engaged. And I'll tell you something. The thing that God has done in my own heart and life, and I'm going to share more of this in a moment, about prayer, is prayer transforms you. It does. I can't explain it to you. I can't. It does not make human sense, but prayer is transformational. True. Just honest, open heart before the Lord. It transforms you. Not just talking, but because prayer is more than just talking. It's also listening. It's just being with at times. But it changes you. He says, don't do all of this. Don't stand and try to be seen. Don't try to make a big show of it. Don't say a lot of words or try to get just the right phrasing or, or, or put together the beautiful prayer so other people are impressed. They always oh, should have them pray because they pray so well. The most beautiful prayers I've ever heard have been the simplest. Just a heart open before the Lord. And here I am. And the longer we're in this thing called the church, the longer we do this Christianity, we, we're walking this journey, if we're not careful, it can become just religious ritual. I find that often with believers, and I've been in the same place, where prayer is just a ritual that I do, or it's 911 when I'm in desperate need. That's, neither of those are necessarily awful in and of themselves. A certain habit, having a certain habit is not a bad thing. All right? Calling out when you're in desperate need is not a bad thing. Okay, so do not hear me say that. But prayer is so much more than that. So much more than that. That's what Jesus is pointing out. Now, he's going to go into, he's going to begin to get into what we call um, the Lord's Prayer. He says, and when you pray then like this, and he's going to go into what we call the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to stop today. I'm not going to go into the Lord's Prayer yet. We'll save that. Instead, I'm going to tell you a story. My daughter asked me, she goes, Dad, are you going to tell a story today? And I go, yeah. She says, is it a good story? I said, well, you'll have to tell me that after we're done if it's a good story. I ask you a question before I get started today. Um, how many of you were here 14 years ago, right after Pastor Noel left, before Pastor Danny came, um, when I sent a letter out to the whole church? How many of you were here? Not a lot of hands. 
Um, Won't you guys stand? Would you do that for me? Would you stand up? Because I want to do something. I want to publicly thank you for following a young kid who didn't know, he didn't know his head from a hole in the ground. But you followed the Lord, you trusted him, and you walked with me in the journey. And I'm going to tell all the rest of you a little bit about that journey, but I want to thank you. Would you put your hands together? Bev Ainsworth was also part of that group. I went to her memorial service yesterday. And um, she was a really encouraged. Bev was a quiet, at least what I knew her, she was pretty quiet. Charlie was always talking to me, Bev, rarely ever. But there would be times where she would just stop by every once in a while and just say, Pastor, I love you. Thanks for being my pastor. I'm praying for you. And, um, and many of you have done the same thing. 14 years ago, um, we were a church in transition. Uh, Pastor Noel had left, he and his family. I love Noel, still do to this day. And I know those of you who are here, you do. And, um, but they were moving on and felt like God moving in that direction. We had purchased this land here in 2000. There had been a big emphasis believing God was doing some new things and we were going to build out here and had vision for just kingdom work and what God was going to do. And there seemed to be a lot of death to that vision. And in 2003, uh, Andrew was four months old, and Noel announced to the church that he was leaving. And it was a sad, I mean, it was like someone hit the church in the stomach. Yeah, I knew he was going to say it because he had told me ahead of time what he was going to do. But uh, aside from maybe a few family members, I don't know that anyone else knew what he's going to say. And it was literally, by the way, I am not about to resign, okay? So would you just <laughs> breathe and relax, okay? I'm just telling you a story, okay? Some of you, you're already thinking, I'm not resigning, okay? Unless you want me to, and then we'll have a different conversation. All right. So anyway, Noel shared this, and it was literally like a stomach punch. I mean, you could hear, literally, you could hear exhale in the church. And it was a very, very difficult time. And along with that, Noel asked me to go with him. And he said, you know, I'm headed to this place. Would you come and, and be part of the ministry team up there? And I, there was a part of me that wanted to go. Um, I love Noel. I love doing ministry with him. And um, the Lord clearly told Lori and I, it's, I want you to stay right here. If nothing else, stay for however long they want you to help the church walk through this transition. And so that's what I told the church. I will stay here. I will help you walk through the transition, get a new pastor. When he comes, we will leave so that he can start fresh, get, get his own staff, do whatever he wants to do. And um, so we began that journey together, and it was hard. I mean, there were days we'd come in to do church together and just gather together, and it was like somebody died. It was just sad. You guys remember, it was just sad. I was sad. I was pastor of the church, and I didn't want to be there. All right? But we were trying to keep things going. We were, you know, stiff up our lip, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstrap, the whole deal, put on a happy face, keep the machinery going, and we were working and going, and, and every day it felt like we just sunk deeper in all of this, trying to keep the machinery going, and, and then some people began to leave for different reasons, and, and, and again, not in a bad way. I don't, I don't want to in any way communicate anything other than it was just a fact. There were folks who began to leave. And we began to walk through some things, and 
remember Lori and I, a lot of just tough conversations in those days. I'm praying and trying to lead the church to pray. And um, one day, after several months, I was driving down US 1, and I just, I hit a wall. Emotionally, physically, I hit a wall. And basically, I was at the point, I'm quitting. I don't want to do this. I don't care. You know, I'll go. I don't care what I do. I just don't want to do this. And I'm driving down the road, and I've said before to people that I'm not really a talented person. I don't have a whole lot of talent. But God did give me, whether you consider it a talent or not, God did seem to give me one thing, which is a hatred of quitting. He gave me that. I have a hatred of quitting. And so even as I'm quitting, I'm sitting there hating the idea of quitting. I want to quit, and I feel good about wanting to quit, but I feel bad about actually the quitting. And so I'm just crying out. I was like, God, let me go. Release me. Let me quit this thing. I said, I don't want to do this. Matter of fact, I don't want to just quit this. Lord, I'm not even sure I want to be a Christian. If this is all there is to Christianity, I'm not sure I want it. I was a desperate man. I said, I read about your word, but what I read in your word does not look like my life. And I know the stuff in here. I know it, I preach it, I teach it, but it's not real to me. Now, I knew Jesus. I knew him as my Savior. I knew that I knew him. But that's about all that I knew. And so I just cried out. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't get any revelation that I know of in that moment. But over the next few days, the Lord seemed to begin to just stir in in His Word, in things that I was reading, and things that He would bring to my mind. And He seemed to begin to stir me and say, Troy, I want to take you in places, I want to take you places in prayer that you've never been. And I remember thinking at the time, Lord, we need a whole lot more than prayer. We're in a bad way here. We need more than prayer. Because I had a mindset, much like something that Lori showed me recently, it was on social media somewhere, and um, a friend of hers in a church in St. Louis, and this church recently stopped their, their normal services and had kind of a panel discussion because of all the rioting. You guys have seen the rioting that's going on in St. Louis and because of the, the court decision and all of that. So they were trying to have a, a conversation and, and plan, what are we going to do to try to bring some unity, to have Christ do a work and bring unity in this, in this racial division that's taking place here in our city? Not a bad thing, by the way, for churches, for Christians to do that, to, to, to be concerned about what's happening in our communities and the division and the things that are taking place here. So I'm not critical of that at all. But one of the things she said that they said, and again, this is hearsay, so... Again, I'm just sharing it with you. But her comment was that they made the statement that we're going to do this and we're going to come up with a plan and a strategy and have more, we're going to do more than just passive prayer. Now, whether they actually said that or what the context was, I don't know. I wasn't there. But that statement struck me. First of all, there is nothing about prayer that's passive. Nothing. And the more you do it, you'll understand that. It is not passive. It is not a, well, I hope so, 
and let's just whatever, you know, say Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. I would say this to you, and this is a strong statement, and I know it is, and I thought about it, but I'm still going to say it. If you and I are not growing in prayer, we're not growing. I believe that with all my heart. It is the fuel for this thing we call the Christian life. It is the way the Holy Spirit moves and works and reveals in us. It is the way he joins with us to cause us to cry out for things that we otherwise wouldn't even know to ask for. It's the way he utters even when we don't know what to pray. It's the way that he reveals and corrects things in my life. I can't tell you how many times I have gone to prayer either by myself or with others with a problem with someone else. And in the process of that, God, he, showed the, he, 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 he shined the light on me, on my attitude, on my issue. Prayer is corrective in that way. Because when you honestly get before the Lord, you open up your heart, he will show you stuff. Prayer is protective. I can't tell you how many times God has protected me simply because I cried out to him. And he would reveal something or he would direct in a certain way. And later I would look back and say, Lord, that was your protection for me. It's directive. It's corrective. It's protective. It's it's directive. It, it gives you and me direction. He gives you and me direction as we pray. Now, I've said this before. I'll say it again because it's a vital point. You can only receive direction if you're willing to receive direction. You say, duh. That may be simple, but it's not easy. I have to come to him with a heart that's saying, Lord, I want direction and I'll receive it if you give it. Let me, let me speed this story up. January comes. Oh. I don't know what that means exactly, but anyway. For those listening, the lights went off. So anyway, um, uh, we, um, January, I came out. There was no building out here. As a matter of fact, this land was kind of a, a source of great discouragement because there were such great dreams and hopes and vision and nothing was happening and now pastor was gone and we're just struggling, wrestling and so I go out here and I begin to pray because God's beginning to teach me something about prayer and he did in different ways and I don't have time to go into all of it today but I felt like he said something to me that day he said, Troy, I want you to stop everything as a church. I want you to come together and do nothing but worship and pray and get in the Word. That's all I want you to do. I want you to stop every other activity that you're doing and just do that. Now, we were a program-driven church. That's all we did was program. We had it, we had it down. I mean, we were doing them. I mean, we had stuff all the time. And I remember that conversation with the Lord. Lord, if we do this, everybody's going to leave. In fact, I wrote the letter, took it home to my dear wife, showed it to her, and she goes, if you do this, everybody's going to leave. <laughs> Thank you, hon, for that encouragement. 
But we prayed together. I said, I really, really, with everything in me, as hard as this is, I believe this is what God's saying. And so we did. We started there at the beginning of the year, and we just shut it all down. We shut down all of our kids' stuff and all of our youth stuff and all of our visitation stuff and all of our meal stuff and all of our stuff stuff and just shut it all down. Just stopped it all. We gathered together to pray, to worship, to be in the Word. And we did it together. And we didn't know what we were doing, quite honestly. I didn't. He said, well, sure, we know how to pray. I knew how to pray the way I had always prayed. I didn't know what God wanted to do in a new way in me. The Lord began to walk us through that, that process. He began to do something, because again, prayer changes us. And he began to do something in that process. He began to change me. I'll tell you some of the ways very specifically. It, it, I believe as a result of God teaching me more about prayer, he also revealed to me what grace is. I never understood grace. And so, so much of what has come about in the last 10 years in preaching that I do about grace, most of that comes as a result of God doing a change and a work in me. You know what the greatest change was? Is like I'd come to him. You know, one of the reasons we don't like to pray, why I didn't like to pray, why in the world would I want to talk to someone who I thought was mad at me all the time? And I really believe that. I believe that God was mad at me all the time because I didn't measure up. I couldn't do it as well as I, I was supposed to. And, he, and I know what his word says, and I know what he desires for me, and I can't do it, I don't do it, or sometimes I don't even want to do it. Why would he want to talk to me? And why would I want to talk to him? Grace changed. It was revelation to me when I began to understand he wants to talk to me just because he loves me. Not because I did it right this week. I get up early, have my quiet time with the Lord and pray and do a bunch of good stuff that day and I felt really good about me and I thought, well, I can talk to the Lord today. But the next day I miss my quiet time and I, I get mad at Lori and, you know, and snap at the kids and, you know, all this stuff. Well, I don't want to talk to the Lord right now because I haven't had a good day. I was messed up in my theology. Prayer began to change all of that. I didn't understand worship. Prayer began to change. We're going to talk about some of that when we look at prayer. What is worship-based prayer? Changed the whole way I pray. And it changed me in the process. And there were others who took the journey with me and said, hey, let's go together. I don't, know where, I don't know where we're going, but let's just go. By the way, I don't mind telling you that anymore. When I was a young leader, that bothered me to not be able to have my vision or my plan, my, my five-year plan and my 10-year plan, and this is what we're going to do. It bothered me until one day the Lord made it really clear, followers don't know where they're going. They don't know. They're following. That's the whole nature of following. You don't know where you're going. I'm not supposed to know. I'm just supposed to follow Lord began to change us. He began to change me. The Holy Spirit. I began to show me who the Holy Spirit is. He's the left out one. And yet, as, you, as God takes you deeper in prayer, you will discover who the Holy Spirit is. He's not the weird kooky one. Okay? He is God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in me. He is the one who releases all of who God is in me. 
And we so often don't even know him. But prayer does this for you. John Azzalino will tell you, he said it again this morning. He said, the favorite, my, he said, my favorite thing that we do as a church is when we gather and pray. Now, I'll be honest with you. As you start this journey, you're probably not going to feel that way. I didn't. Sometimes it's like, Lord, I don't, uh, I don't get this. It's, it's, you grow. You grow in this. And we'll, and we'll teach you. I want to share this with you, and I'm going to stop the story today. We're going to continue on as we go through. I have not changed. God, God did something in me 14 years ago. He started a journey that I, I'm still on to this day. And for me, if we're not a church that prays, I don't want to be a church. I'm sorry. But that's just a fact. I don't want to do anything else. I mean, I shouldn't say it that way. I want to do other things. I want everything else that we do to flow off, to come off of that foundation, to come out of that place. Yes, there are other things that we do. There are other important things. But all of it comes from that place of prayer, that place of intimacy with God. To just be able to talk to him. Hear him. I talk about hearing him. One of the things that Pastor Paul is doing right now is establishing some equipping classes. And one of those equipping classes is going to be, how do you hear God? You ever wonder about that? How do you hear God? I never knew how to hear God until I started praying. Never knew. I always guessed at it. Maybe I'm hearing God. I think I'm hearing God. Prayer is that tool, that vehicle that God uses to teach you how to hear him. It's who we are. It's our foundation. Many of you are new. As you could see, there's only a handful that were here 14 years ago when we started this journey. Some came along at different places along that and were part of it. There are quite a few more of you who came along at different times along the way and were part of it. And they could tell their own stories. <laughs> I was really, I was green and wet behind the ears. And I didn't do things really well sometimes. I'll never forget the Sunday. We were just, we were singing. But it was just dead. It just felt dead. We were, I was dead, you know. There was, I don't know who was leading or what even was going on. Maybe I was leading. I don't know. It probably was me leading, and it was still dead. And I remember I just looked over at Lori and did this. Just stop. And all this was stop and everything. But every kind of, you know how it's like a train wreck. Everything just kind of stops. And everybody looks at me like I've lost my mind. And I said, folks, I don't want to do this. This is dead. And they all looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate. And um, what? I said, I don't know what to do other than to cry out. So let's just cry out to God. I don't know what else to do, but this is dead. We're just going through the motions. I'm going through the motions. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going through the motions. Some of you are sitting here thinking, I'm glad I wasn't here then. <laughs> that heart has not changed in me, folks. It's still there. I don't mind changing or stopping anything if I believe God's in it. I want us to be a people who understand what it is to pray. Not just as a ritual, not just as a 911 number, 
But it's such a part of our life, it's as natural as breathing. Sometimes we don't even think about it. We just, it's so natural we don't even think about it. We just go there. Jesus did. He modeled that. And if he did it, I guarantee you, we need to do it. If you don't have a heart for prayer, that's not a big deal. It really isn't. It's like a couple who came to me and said, we don't love each other. And that's not a big deal. It's really not. You say, why would you say that? Because the scripture says when you lose your first love, you can go back and do what you did at the beginning and you'll regain your first love. That's not a big deal. I understand you don't love each other right now, but that can change. I understand that you don't have a desire to pray, but that can change. I didn't. When we started this, I didn't. I'd rather do most anything other than pray. Because to me, it felt like passive. It, it felt like doing nothing. Let's go actually do something. And the problem that we have in the church in America, generally speaking, is we're really great at doing something. But we do not have the power. We have a form, but without power. Because power comes because people pray. My house shall be called a house of preaching? No, it's not preaching, huh? Preaching's important, isn't it? My house should be called a house of worship. We're going to sing some songs and praise God. We do that. It's important. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. That's where you are today. By God's grace, We've taken some steps in that journey, but we're not done. We're not done. I've been prompted recently, and you begin to see it some in our services. We're going to pray more when we gather at 1045. We're going to stop more. We're going to do more of that. Some of you say, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. And you never have to pray out loud. I've made that really clear. But we're going to pray. We're going to be a house of prayer. Can I tell you something? What I really believe that the Lord's stirring in my heart. That when we come here together, part of what the Lord envisions for us as a church is that I walk in here and, and I get in a circle. And, and I'm in a circle with, with the row right here. I'm with Phil in Florida. I'm with Matt. I'm with Marty and Becky. And I walk in. Maybe I sit down on their row. I don't know them. They don't know me. But I sit down. And I walk in here, and I've got this huge decision, and I don't know what to do. I've got this broken relationship, and it's tearing my heart out. I've got a need in my body. My body hurts and aches, and, and I'm in pain that is almost unbearable. Ted was that way. I was just talking to Ted a while ago. In fact, he told me that the only time he ever had any relief was when he was here, when he'd come and gather with God's people. It was the only time he wasn't in pain. So I sit down with these group of folks, these fine folks over here in this row. And whatever it is, I'm sitting there and begin to have a conversation and say, I've got this decision. I don't know what to do. And they immediately say, you know what? We know the one who knows everything. Could we pray for you? And they're not praying for me because it's, their religious duty to do so because we're at church and we're supposed to pray. They're praying because they believe that God actually hears, that he answers, that he moves. 
And they don't have to know. See, one of the things that scares us when it comes to talking to people about the Lord and about things of the Lord is there's a lot we don't know. There's always going to be a lot you don't know. I don't have to know it. I just have to know the one who does. I don't have to know it. I can just come to him. One of the greatest freedoms in my life, one of the greatest personally, one of the greatest things that God's done in my life for prayer is just made me at peace. I just relaxed. Just relaxed. I was not relaxed in my younger days. And I marvel at it at times. And I still have my moments. So do you. But I'm not the man I was. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God began to activate some things in me. And I believe he did it in this journey we call prayer. I want that for all of you. I want you, wherever you are in that journey, I want you to experience more, and I want it for me. I want to experience more. Some of you are saying, but I prayed, Troy. It hasn't seemed to change anything. I get that. There are moments when it seems that way. So we're going to talk about prayer over the next few weeks as we go through the Lord's Prayer. Some different pieces to it. Maybe it'll help enlighten some things for you. But today, I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to stand. Lord, I'm going to ask you to come play. It is not my word alone. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. He prayed off. His disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because they saw him praying. They thought, we don't pray like that. Teach us to pray. The early church birthed in a prayer meeting. Then you get to the second chapter of Acts and... It says these four things were characteristic of that early church. One of them, prayer. Chapter 4, you got Peter and them arrested. What's the church doing? Prayer. You keep going, chapter after chapter. Chapter 6, they got a problem in the church. Got widows who aren't being taken care of. It's physical needs, it's important. What do they do? They pray. And then they say, hey, a point. Pray a point, find men full of the Holy Spirit. Let's deal with this practical issue we've got. Get over to chapter 10, Cornelius is doing what? He's praying. When the Lord speaks to us and says, send for Peter. Peter comes. What is, what is Peter doing? He's praying, he's resting and praying. Sees this vision. I like his vision because it means we get to eat anything, all right? <laughs> and, but he, gets this, he sees this vision. And he goes, and the gospel goes to the Gentiles. You and I are here today because of prayer. We're here today because of prayer. And that started way back then. That doesn't include all the prayer that's happened through the generations. Will you be a people of prayer? Will I? If you're willing today to say, Lord, I don't necessarily want this at least it's not a burning passion in me or I don't understand it but I'm willing for you to make me a man or a woman of prayer I'm willing let's start there today I'm willing wherever I am in this journey Lord I'm willing for you to take me further
willing. See, this is prayer, and this is prayer that changes. In a moment, we're going to sing just to close out our service. I'm going to ask prayer partners to come to the front. Why do we have prayer partners? Because we are a church that prays. Because the only hope that you and I have is found by coming to the Lord. And often other people praying for us allow us, help us, assist us in that journey. That's our privilege to be able to do that with you. Whatever is going on in your life, we want to be able to pray with you about it. If you don't know Jesus, we want to pray with you about that. If you know him, but you got issues, struggles, we want to pray with you about it. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've done. Just your mercy to us and your faithfulness, Lord, to the years. But you're not done. I know you have stirred that in me over this year. You were, you were stirring new things in me and a desire for new things. Maybe not new things, maybe an expansion of old things. Lord, I'll be honest. I, I, I felt for a time that I'm, I'm kind of stuck. Life is pretty easy and comfortable and we're just, just doing what's the next thing. Lord, I want to know you more. I want us to know you more. I want us to be changed in your presence. It'll be a testimony of your glory. Lord, do in us what you desire to do. We don't have to beg you and plead with you to do it. You desire to do this. Lord, cause us to pray before we do anything else. Cause us to cry out to you and listen to you before we start trying to fix it or plan our way through it. cause us to trust and wait to allow you to move and work as you see fit. Lord, give us patience. Whereas I realize how you do that. So give us strength. Give us eyes to see. Give us courage to believe. Give us hearts wide open to receive. Lord, I pray for the ones here today. Lord, we all got stuff, every one of us. And there are things that seem bigger than, honestly, seem bigger than what prayer can, prayer seems kind of an easy way out. It's not, but it seems that way to us. So Lord, help us to believe 
to come to you. And then, Lord, also to listen, because often as we're praying, you're going to give us instruction of what we should be doing. It's not that we shouldn't do, it's just we should be first. We should be with you first before we do. So, Lord, help us to do that. Take us deeper places over the next few weeks than we've been before. I ask you, I believe that you want to do this. I trust you for it. Start it in me, Lord. Do it in me. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.